Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is a podcast from Minute Media. What's up, Panther fans? Welcome to the post-draft edition of the four-man rush podcast. Tonight we got myself, uh, Will. We got Kev, Monty, and JD going over these Panthers draft picks, which I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And let's get started. So Carolina, round one. We're picking at six. All offseason we're talking about quarterback, left tackle, quarterback, left tackle, right? And get to a situation where Five guys go in the top five that aren't left tackles. You got, you know, Trayvon Walker going one, Aiden Hutchinson, you go Derek Stingley, you go Sauce Gardner. And the Giants, who everybody thought was going to be a tackle landing spot, end up taking Oregon edge rusher Kayvon Thibodeau. So, Kev, sitting at six with all three top tackles on the board, what's going through your mind at that point? Oh, man, I think we about to cash the check, bro, because – you know, I've been on Team Elite Willis since the whole, you know, offseason started, but never would I had imagined ever, ever that no tackles would have been uh, selected. You know, with Jacksonville, you know, getting the franchise tag, and then I think they went ahead and extended Cam Robinson. Yep. You know, that, that gave some hope. And then, you know, we was looking ahead. Well, we hearing rumors about the Jets and the Giants looking to upgrade their offensive line. So, you know, a little optimistic, but still not feeling it. But you know, once I saw the um, that they took a defensive end, I was like, "Oh shit!" You know what I'm saying? Cause like, you know, I'm I'm out there in the crowd, you know, because y'all know I was out there in Vegas. So I'm, you know, I'm around here and I'm just sitting here like, now I ain't gonna cap. I was hollering for Evan Neal. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to front like I was, you know, being um was I think we was gonna get Equanu. But hey, listen, if we'd walked away with any one of them three, that was gonna be a huge, huge franchise changing win for us so uh the fact that you know we were able to get what we later found out as the uh number one overall tackle on our board and many others board uh game changer you know this franchise been starving for a franchise left tackle since 2013 when uh jordan gross retired after the uh after the season so um man i'm just i'm just i'm just excited man you know we got someone that's physical that's nasty that's got a high football iq strong work ethic uh, i even had a few friends hit me up like yo you know his dad is my doctor like what you mean so apparently aquanu's dad is uh some sort of doctor in the um in the charlotte area and they was like um yeah 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 that's uh his dad is my doctor and i was like wow okay so cool but um yeah i'm just really excited man that we we finally um put a stop to the turnstile at left tackle and I would like to think for the next 10, 12, 15 years, uh, this is going to be the man that's going to be 
protecting our quarterback's blind side, whoever that may be. Right, that's a good point. I mean, Akeem McQuana, you think about him, he's born and raised in Charlotte, went to Providence Day High School. He was on the wrestling team. He was the anchor on the 4x100 uh, track relay team, which is crazy. Imagine you're lining up on the track on the uh, anchor leg. You got a 285-pound offensive tackle running up against you. I mean, if you lose that race, I think I'll end up quitting track at that point. But, uh, Monty, I know you were all in on quarterback. Um, what are you thinking when the top five picks are gone? And, man, it's all Cross, Neil, and Iguana were all still on the board for us. Yeah, um, I definitely was all in for quarterback. Uh, I, I, you know, I think the closer we got to the draft, I kind of, you know, you know, I kind of came back to the realization that, you know, our offensive tackle probably would be the better pick at that time. I'll be honest, uh, at that time, you know, with, with all three tackles on the board, all the quarterbacks on the board that we were looking at, you know, because nobody thought there was going to be five defensive players, the, you know, the uh, defensive run, those first five picks, you know, at least everybody thought there was going to be at least one tackle going. So at that point, I'll be honest, I'm thinking, you know, if, you know, if we're talking about value and retaining picks, you know, get back to nine, get back to 10, you know, you know, if there was somebody available wanting looking to trade with us, get, you know, so get some picks back and, and you still have, a, you know, likely a tackle falling your lap. Thank God I don't make these calls, you know, because like I said, that would have been likely the wrong call. And, 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 you know, and again, we came away with, like you said, you know, the best tackle on our board and a lot of other boards. I'm, you know, you can't be upset with that, you know, even with me being so, you know, even with me doubling down on needing a quarterback and wanting a quarterback. KF hit it on the head. You know, like I said, we've had a turnstile at uh, offensive tackles for guys since Jordan Gross. It's almost a decade now, if not longer than a decade, you know. So it's, it's, it's you know, the time has come for needing an offensive tackle. Um, I, I don't think you could have went wrong. In, in any direction, you know, quarterback or, or, you know, or I mean, if you traded back for a quarterback or, you know, if you went offensive tackle what we did at six, I don't think that either decision would have been bad. The better decision would have been offensive tackle, you know, so I think we did, you know, I'm, you know, I'm pleased, man. I think, like you said, you got a, got a potential franchise offensive tackle for the next 10 to 15 years there. Um, and, you know, bring going on to the next round or, or the, the next day and getting a quarterback, you know, we're going to talk about that here shortly. You know, I, I'm happy. You know, I feel like we we definitely hit knocked it out of the park. Got got a you know a blue chip offensive tackle there. You know, uh, we, we no longer have to worry about protect you know protecting our blind side now. You know, you have five solid uh, guys up front, and you, you know this what this that's me. Okay, uh, JD, I know you were also on the kind of the quarterback, or you kind of were back and forth. But I mean, nobody expected this. Three, all three tackles on the board at six. And you see the draft board fall the way it did. What was on your mind at that point? In my head, I'm thinking um, a trade back. Um, not necessarily to target a quarterback, but to kind of recoup some day two picks that we didn't have already. Um, and then potentially also getting your, your tackle. Because if you trade back to like a nine or 10, those two teams get to jump up and, and take their. Um, take their guy, but also you get a chance to get one of the top three tackles as well if they continue to fall. So um, I definitely, in my mind, I thought Giants were definitely going to tackle because they wanted to get their pick out of the top three and then let us get the scraps. But um, as they go, Kayvon Thibodeau, um, it left us with the top tackle on our board. And um, you can't be mad at getting the top player on your board. And I, I can imagine if they didn't have a generational grade on um, Icky, it was pretty close to uh, 
a generational grade. So definitely no complaints on my end. I would have preferred Neil, like m- many of the guys in the four-man rush or a couple of guys um, in our group here. But um, Icky is a guy that's nasty, plays with uh, Black Air Force energy um, for sure. So, look, well-deserved. Well and I think we did it where we needed to um, to shore up our O-line o- a little bit more. Okay, we're sitting on the board with three tackles, Akeem McGuanu, Evan Neal, and Charles Cross. I know you're the trench guy in this group. Can you tell me why you feel like Icky would be the best fit with um, the Panthers as opposed to the other two? Not knocking them, but what made them go Icky over those two? Honestly, I think that it was the the nasty, physical, aggressive style that he blocks with, along with the high football IQ not knocking Neil across to make them seem like they're soft or they're not as intelligent. But, you know, when the Panthers, uh, you know, did their research whenever, you know, they had the pro days and when it was at the combine and, you know, you heard the whispers of what it was that they were looking at for, you know, uh, to improve the offensive line, the, the traits that uh, Iquanu has, you know, really started to stick out because number one, you know, when Matt Rule fired, um, Joe Brady, he said he wanted to become a more, you know, power run uh, type of team. Well, to do that, you need to have offensive linemen that that are able to have that availability. And the offensive line that we had last year, uh, most of them were more comfortable being zone blocking, you know, being more uh, on the athletic side and using angles versus, you know, man power blocking, which is physically removing your man uh, out of the way and moving up to the next level. So, with Iquano, uh, you got someone that, I mean, when you put on his tape, uh, you know, all you see is is him driving guys down the field and putting guys on their backside. Uh, I, I remember uh, out in Vegas watching, you know, the detail inside about him. They were saying that uh, just last year alone, he had, uh, for every pancake block that, that they got, that you got as an offensive lineman in North Carolina State, you got, a, uh, you got a bottle of syrup, and he ended up having 50 bottles of syrup you know, just last year. Um, and that's, you know, pancake blocks. And I think he had like another 30, uh, what they call knockdown blocks or whatever. So, you know, difference being pancake is when you put the man down and you lay down on top of him versus knockdown where you just knock him down and you keep it going. So uh, either way, he's definitely removing that, that player out of the way. Uh, so I'm, I'm just thinking that they went with him because, you know, that his – you know, with his athletic ability, because he still needs to refine some things, uh, particularly in his pass set. Uh, but the fact that he's athletic and got great footwork and just overall ability to really, even when he makes a mistake, to recover quickly, I just think that that's what made him the uh, the uh, the best option for it. And hopefully his nasty demeanor uh, blocking is going to rub off on everybody else. Uh, we can discuss a little bit later on, you know, about the, what the potential offensive line looked like. Cause I got a couple of surprises uh, when it comes to that, but uh, that would be the reasons why I think that we went with uh, Iquanu. And you mentioned that zone versus power. Um, according to PFF, you know, they have good stats on this type of stuff. When Ben McAdoo was with the Giants, he leaned on gap runs as opposed to zone runs mm-hmm. on 49.9% of their run plays, which was above league average. So I think that's definitely we're going to see something different from our offense, which is more of a downhill power run game as opposed to the uh, zone blocking inside zone plays that Joe Brady was running. 
So with that in mind, you get a guy like Aquanu here. I think they graded him as one of the best run blockers that they've ever done since they started tracking the scores. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, Aquanu's size, his nastiness, I think he'll make a good pairing with the guys we got on our offensive line. Now, I saw one question asking about what that means for uh, Brady Christensen and whether he'll be the left tackle. What's up, Jay? Hope you're doing well tonight. Good to see you, man. I think what you'll see here, when the Panthers drafted Brady Christensen a year ago, they had him rated as a second-round guard and a third-round tackle. So they really projected him as a guard. Had to do some with the what we laugh at with the arm length. But I don't think that's the only reason why. I think initially when I looked at him last year as well, I thought he was more of a guard as well. I think he has the athleticism to play the position, the feet to get make those second-level uh, blocks. Um, I think a tackle, you know, arm length does kind of matter as well. You know, let's not let's be honest about that. I mean, Rule Matt Rule's not the only one who thinks that way. So I think with Icky on the left side and possibly Bozeman on the other side of him, I think you can get the best out of Brady Christensen if he moves to left guard. So if I were to guess at what the starting lineup would be today, I think you'd have Icky at left tackle, Brady Christensen and Michael Jordan battling it out for that left guard spot. Um, I think you'll have Bradley Bozeman and Pat Elfline battling it out for that center spot. Austin Corbett, I think, will solidify the right guard spot and have Taylor Moten at right tackle. And you want to talk about the depth. I mean, now you talk about Cam Irving. He's a guy that can back up four different positions. So maybe he makes the roster as kind of a swing tackle or a guy that can back up both guard spots. So I think he'll still be valuable since you can only carry, what, what care, 46 guys on the active roster on game day. So, um, yeah. You need a guy that can have that kind of versatility. Uh, we'll get to the other guy, Cade Mays, in a while, but he'll compete for some reps on the interior. Uh, De Dennis Daly has played multiple positions as well. So I think you're starting to see that old line unit start to gel together nicely with five solid starters finally, which is what we got to address first of all. And then you can get into the versatility, position flexibility with the backups since you're only allowed to have so many guys active on game day. <clears throat> and let's not also forget um, Michael Jordan, who's our midseason pickup, who – uh, brought a lot of that nastiness as well because uh, the power gap running is definitely his his strength as well because you know with um, with smooth you know that was one of the highlights of for him last year was to play and just the nastiness that um that Michael Jordan played so let's not rule him out um, in that battle uh, for that guard spot as well I know a lot of people thinking because we spent a draft pick on Brady Christensen uh, that is you know, it's automatically his spot. But again, if you, if you fair an objective, you know, one of the next on Brady is that, yeah, he has elite athleticism and a quick get off, but he brings very little power to the table. He's not really moving people. He's more so just kind of standing in the way. And, you know, under this game with, you know, Ben McAdoo, you got to get movement. So, you know, it's going to be up to him to show that he's able to be more physical at the point of attack, you know, uh, don't be wasting steps. Um, you know, it's good to have that get off, but if you're not bringing no hips, and no power with it, you know, you're going to get stood up. You're going to clog up the lane. Uh, but I, I definitely think that it's going to be uh, that got left guard spot probably is going to be the best battle at camp uh, period because, because of the style we're trying to run versus the competition that we got there. Yeah, so that wraps up the first bit with uh, Iki Iguano. I think we're all happy that we finally got, the first, you know, we won't call him a Hall of, we won't put him in the Hall of Fame just yet, but it's good to get a high, highly graded draft prospect at the tackle position, something we haven't had in a long time. So hopefully he adapts fast and he can be a plug and play guy. 
because we desperately need help on that offensive line. So let's move through draft deck. So we're done with day one. We're not going to trade back into the first round. Second round hits. All, all five of the quarterbacks that we had 30 visits with, with the exception of Kenny Pickett, are off the board heading into day two. Now, Manny, what is your thought? Because I know a lot of us were high on the Malik Willis's and all these other guys, but you're seeing five quarterbacks available on day two. What's going through your mind at, at this stage? Yeah, I, you know, me like everybody else, I, I'm thinking, you know, let's you go go, go get your quarterback. You know, uh, going into it, Scott Fitter was clear that he wanted to address quarterback. You know, that was a need. Just You know, I, I believe everybody believes that quarterback and offensive tackle are your two biggest needs going into this offseason. So, yeah, I mean, going with, four, you know, four, <laughs> four or five quarterbacks that you actually brought in, like you said, or as for visits, I'm thinking you go get your guy. Now, <laughs> I don't believe anybody saw – all of them falling out of the second, you know, and they, well, that's that's actually crazy. I, you know, I don't believe the last time I've seen a quarter, you know, there being no quarterbacks going the second round, and especially with only being one going in the first. So, um, you know, that was crazy, and and, and it actually, uh, you know, fell in our favor, you know, because and I think Scott Fitter, you know, I look, uh, looked at the the interview with Matt Rule after day two, and you know, he's he hit it on the head. You know, Scott Fitter was elite in day two. You know, you know, he, so you know, stay put. Let the board let the board fall in your favor. You know, go get the quarterback that you were highest on, and you know, and 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 you know what you do is you you know you establish that left tackle position all offseason. All we've done is rebuild that offensive line, and then you go get your quarterback. You know, Scott Fitter's been clear about wanting to get a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal here, and you know, I you know I I'm I'm pleased, man. Yeah, you know, Matt Rule has a lot. Matt Rule, I'm sorry. Um. Matt uh, Castle, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I'm trying to read and do a whole bunch of things right now. I'll get, Matt Corral, I'm I'm gonna get it right. I promise, Panther fans. I'm sorry, Matt Corral. Uh, you know, for for all the things that we can say that he doesn't have, you know, I feel like he, for my biggest knock on him that was going into it was that he was a little undersized. Um, I think you know he he has that dog mentality that we all want in your quarterback. You know, he I've been making jokes with the four man rush in our group chat that you know he's six two two ten. And he thinks he's 6'5", 240, you know, and, and that can that can kind of hurt him. But that can also play in his favor as well, you know, that he's he's going to give you every bit of his, you know, every fight, every will that he has, he's going to give it on the field. And, you know, and you see it on the field. So I love it, man. I um I think that with the first two picks that, oh, oh yeah, our first two picks with the first and third round picks, they, we knocked it out the park, um, you know, now. And, and like I said, as we go forward, moving into day three, I think we just set up set up ourselves in the perfect position, man. So I'm I'm pleased, bro. Uh, J.D., what do you think the media got wrong when trying to project uh, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, and even Matt Corral? Because you're looking at these mock drafts, you're seeing guys going to top 10, five quarterbacks in the first round. Now, all of a sudden, we're on the actual draft day. You know, only Kenny Pickett gets picked at Pittsburgh. Nobody in the second round. We don't see another quarterback get picked until Desmond Ritter. I mean, what's going on here? Straight like this, quarterbacks get clicks, bro. Quarterbacks get uh get all the the hype. Um, people call it the most position, uh, most important position on the football field. Everybody in the media wants to hit on the next big quarterback. Um, so guys like Dak Prescott go late. There's guys that are tweeting, "Hey, Dak Prescott is the next guy. Keep an eye out for him." Like myself, ring, ring, ring. I, yeah, that was me. Um, so it, it's like. It's trying people trying to make a name for themselves. I, I feel like a lot of uh, uh, beat writers will hype up a certain guy and um, make him out to be a top pick. 
And as far as like field workouts go, um, everybody was on the Malik Willis, Willis train from what I saw after pro day. Um, everybody was like, hey, Matt Corral, Corral can sling this thing a little bit. Let's review the film. So it's it can be a fluid thing. Um, I think what we missed or what I missed for some of these quarterbacks is just the intricacies and in how um, teams would value what they do well with their own scheme. That and coming off one of the deepest quarterback classes we've ever seen last year. I think a lot of teams already felt that need or um, a lot of teams this offseason decided, hey, I'm cool with what I got after all the debauchery and debacles that we saw um, this offseason of everybody trying to secure their, their franchise quarterback. Uh, yeah, I know a lot. The assumption was that there would be no way possible that we'll be able to address both in this draft. It had to be one or the other at six. If we took a left tackle, we'd have to probably go out to the veteran quarterback market and trade for either Baker Mayfield, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, who's still healing from shoulder surgery, or do another veteran quarterback uh, trade. Now, we do know, because through various media sources, that there were negotiations going on with Baker Mayfield during the draft. So, can you just kind of tell us, without giving away too much, why what went, what went wrong with the Mayfield negotiation? Okay, so um, during the second round, uh, right around the late 39th, uh, the 39th, 40th pick, um, you know, I got a message, you know, I showed you guys in the chat, you know, from, you know, my uh, one of my two sources on the team that's, um, you know, that I'm well connected with. Uh, sharing inside information that uh, Scott Fitterer uh, was on the phone uh, with Cleveland uh, discussing, you know, about Baker Mayfield. And the stumbling blocks uh, initially was the fact that uh, Cleveland did not want to pick up any of Baker's fifth-year option, which is that same $18.8 million that we're having to pay for Sam Donner. And I don't blame him, you know, we're already stuck with one sunken cost. You think we're going to take on another one? So that ended it. And then I guess Cleveland called right back and then said, okay, all right, we'll, we'll take on some of the costs. And <laughs> I think at this time that maybe Scott is already thinking like you played my face. So how about this? Um, we're going to throw in Sam Don as part of the package. And then Cleveland responded back with hell no. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's just kind of like I think I think that once they rub rub Scott the wrong way, I think he kind of humored that conversation um, a little bit more to you know for whatever reason I don't know. I like somebody with a little bit of petty because y'all know I'm petty myself. But you know just the fact that there's been no teams willing to take Sam Donald and again just share some inside information. Uh, this offseason long, Scott Fitter has talked to 11 different general managers about trading uh, for Sam Donald uh, a couple of times has offered a player and a pick and other teams still did not want to be dealing with um, Sam Donald in any way, shape or capacity. So you think that's a third of the league, 32 teams. He spoke with 11 teams that were looking to get, you know, add some quarterback depth or whatever. And even with the draft picks um, and a player included wouldn't budge. So Let's just go ahead and chalk it up that Sam Donald's a sunken cost uh, for us this year. And um, 
But yeah, so that's what took place because originally I thought that we were going to trade for Cleveland for their 44th pick and get a quarterback. Uh, but uh, later on, uh, again, you guys saw the messages that I was getting. Uh, it was more so talking about uh, with uh, Baker Mayfield. So that was the exchange behind the scene draft night uh, between the Panthers and um, and the Browns over uh, Baker Mayfield. I appreciate you, uh, Luke Cage. Hope you're doing well. Says, man, love fellas. I'm just happy there's no retreads in the building. That Darnold and Corral fight for the show more. Shout out to Money. <laughs> Money. <laughs> So, right, so let's move through. So Baker Mayfield um, negotiations kind of kind of falling through now, right? And yet the quarterbacks are still falling. So it's looking like the Panthers are having so much leverage, right? So now we're saying, wait a minute, we're on the phone with Baker Mayfield, possibly on the phone with Jimmy G. But wait a minute, the you know quarterbacks that we rate a lot higher than third round picks are falling down the board. So you know we're going through the draft, we're watching these guys get picked. The next quarterback that gets picked is Desmond Ritter at 74. So, Monty, I know you're a big Malik Willis guy. What are you thinking at this point once Desmond Ritter gets taken? You thinking try to make your move now or what? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and like I said, I, I wasn't expecting them to fall as far as they did. But, yeah, I, I was all in on getting Malik Willis, you know, uh, especially if we're if the game is we're sitting a quarterback a year and banking on upside. You know, you go get the guy that has the highest upside. Now, that being said, the now the question with taking Corral versus taking um, Willis is how far is the gap between Corral and Willis when, when you look at their upside. Again, I am i can't be upset with either pick. You know, those were the two – those were my two – well, that wasn't my – Corral was quarterback three for me. But, again, the gap between Willis and Corral isn't that significant enough to where it's like, okay – I, you know, I, it's no way that I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm going to be upset with taking uh, Matt Corral. Um, yeah, I was all in on, on going to go get a quarterback. You know, I, I would have been upset going out of day two, not addressing the quarterback position. It's no way I think that you can go another year with Sam Darnold starting, you know, starting uh, full time. And I just as much as I would have been OK with going to go get back from Mayfield. I know a lot of um, a lot of guys in the four man rush and just a lot of fans in general weren't okay with the Baker Mayfield move. I personally wouldn't have been upset, you know, but even, even if Baker Mayfield wasn't the option or, you know, what, what have you, or even if it was an option, I feel like the argument is, you know, I'm not going to pay 18 plus million for Baker Mayfield when we know what we get with Baker Mayfield versus getting a guy that you can mold and, and you can make it, you know, and you can turn into whoever you like. So I'm happy again. I, I think that Scott Fitterer, you know, Matt rule hit it on the head. Scott Fitterer was elite this, uh, this weekend, you know, he, he stayed put. He knew what he was doing. You know, he actually had, a, you know, an in-depth plan of what he wanted to come out of this depth. I mean, this draft with. And, he and, you know, he did it. He, he got the depth and position that he wanted. And he also, you know, got two potential key pieces for, you know, moving forward. You know, you got a very young team now and you got a, a young quarterback on a rookie deal and you got a blue chip offensive tackle. I just, you know, I, I can't find much to complain about this this year, you know. Shout out Aaron Chase. Thank you for tuning in, man. Hope you're doing well today. Um, all right, now I'm gonna give let JD have a vent session. So we're going. So Desmond Ritter gets picked at 74, and going pick after pick after pick. We get to 86. Tennessee Titans are on the clock, and they pick none other than Malik Willis. So the guy, you know, who was JD's number one quarterback is now gone at number 86. What's going through your mind after you see Tennessee? Uh, take Malik Willis. Um, 
you taking me back to that place, man. Let me see. Um, so on my board, I have I actually have Kenny Pickett as my number one guy. I have him 18, Malik 19. So they were right on top of each other. Um, and then I had Corral 39. So in my head, I am thinking at this point, I do not want to trade for a veteran quarterback, another veteran quarterback, especially a guy that we're only going to have for one year. And then we're right back in the same boat that we are now. And I would prefer to draft a guy just to have them around longer. But I'm not sure. Do you do you go for it? In my mind, I'm thinking, do you go for a corral? I know they like uh, Howell. If you wait, maybe Howell falls to you because I'm pretty sure Corral is going to be the next off the board. Um, we trade up and then we take Matt Corral. And uh, yeah, I, I I'm, I'm not I'm not completely certain where I stand with Matt Corral. Because obviously the the arm talent is um, is one of the key things for him. Like it, it pops off on film, everybody sees it. Um, the dog mentality is huge. I love that. There's just some ugly film, bro, of him getting himself in trouble. There, it is. Yeah. It. Mm. Well, well, the question <laughs> is, Arsene I'm I don't, I don't mean to, to, to speak out of turn. So the question is, in my, you know, for for me to you. Is there not just as much ugly film for for Malik Willis as it is Matt, uh, Matt Corral? Because you know, because I, I think everybody knows I've been the loudest about wanting Malik, Malik Willis. You know, again, I I agree with you that Malik Willis is you know was the guy that I wanted. Do the question I asked earlier? Do you think the gap between Matt Corral and Malik Willis is that significant enough to where you're you know you're banking more on Malik to hit than Matt Corral? Because in my opinion, I don't I don't think it is, bro. I think that they both have a lot of ugly tape, you know, you, we can, we can go through both, both guys film and be like, okay, that's, you know, that's, that's just not going to work in the, in the NFL. And, you know, and, but you can also find a lot of throws and be like, okay, that is the NFL throw. So my question to you is, do you think that gap is that significant enough to where you're banking more on one player to hit versus the other? That's a good question. So at the end of all my QB uh, profiles, I do it uh, uh, overall grade. I think I had Kenny Pickett, 5.5. I had Malik Willis, 5.45. And I had Corral, 5.4. So they're right on top of each other. It's just a matter of preference for me. I like, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of like, well, I don't like turnovers, bro. And I was chilling on Corral. I was like, okay, I can get with this until I got to that Arkansas game, bro. Until I got to that game where he threw five picks. That 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 did it for me, bro. I was like, wait a minute now, hold on, pause. Um, and and you can work with a lot of stuff that he gives you. Like you can improve, you can improve um, route timing. That's a couple of interceptions right there. You can improve um, feel for outbreaking routes from the far hash. You can improve all that, even though that's not even a primary function of like a West Coast offense, which will is what we'll be running. Um, your question to me was. Did he sell his team? Did Malik Willis sell his team like Corral did? Hell no. 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 Malik Willis is the reason why Liberty is in the game. Every game. So so Matt Corral coming back in and torching Arkansas the very next year, that, that doesn't move you at all? 
Hey, it moved it moved him right back up into because I had him. He dropped all the way down after that game, bro. So it, it moved him back into the conversation for me. See, and and this this is I I I've won. You know, I you know, I love you, brother, and I fully respect that opinion. This is my problem with that. You know, do we do we not credit quarterbacks for getting better over over time, or you know, over developing? You know, from from one year to the next? Because yeah, I I fully agree with you. You know, the 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 Arkansas game twenty twenty was ugly. You know, it was there's there's no way to sugarcoat it. It was it. You know, you could pull up that film and be like, okay, that's a that's a, a round five quarterback. You know, that's a day three quarterback. But then you turn around in the very next year. And bro, you could tell it was it was personal for him at that point. You know, it's if if he wasn't going to lose to anybody, twenty twenty one Arkansas was the team he wasn't going to lose to. And not only did he not lose to Arkansas, bro, he he dismantles Arkansas the entire game. You know, it's you know he comes by, and then he, I think that was if I'm not mistaken, it's either that game he either's coming off of ankle injury or he he injures his ankle that uh, that game as well. So you know he's he's coming off of an ankle injury and he d- destroys Arkansas that entire game. And then so now I'm looking like oh, so so that you know I just say that to say, say to me transfer uh, you know moving into the NFL bro I I can bank that if my quarterback get his teeth kicked in one week oh next week he he's not happy and I and that's why I, that's why I want to be with a prospect like you you go out there and lay an egg like you do in 2020 bro you see that t- you see that same team again Bro, I you know it, it. There, there is no love lost. You know, I don't want. I, I don't want you shaking hands. I don't want you happy. I want you to take it personal. And you can tell that's where he. That's where he. That's kind of where he was at with it. So to, I, I just, I can't, I can't hang or you know, or or totally tank Corral over a twenty twenty one over the twenty twenty performance against Arkansas, and then totally, and, you know, saying, and then not bank on the twenty twenty one performance. If that makes sense. That, that's fair. Back to what you um, what you want to see from a prospect throughout his years. I mean, in 2020, he threw 14 interceptions at 29 touchdowns. But what you don't see is he had 11 of those 14 interceptions came in two games. So he had two bad games. Arkansas and LSU had accounted for 11 out of 14 of his total interceptions for the season. And he comes out in 2021, and he's only thrown five interceptions. So you're seeing a guy that's cut down his turnovers from 14 to 5 from his redshirt sophomore year to his junior year because he came out early. He still had one more year of eligibility. So I think he did improve a lot in that department. When you look at a Matt Corral, I think it's about what are the translatable skills that he's bringing to the table from college to pro. You know, the you look at the offense, Ole Miss ran heavy RPO. I think it's like 40% of his passes, pass the line of scrimmage were from RPOs. And what Ben McAdoo says about that is the thing he likes about RPO quarterbacks is the quick release, which Matt Corral has, and how he knows where to go with the football and is very decisive in that regard. And the footwork, you know, from the RPO, resetting your feet, getting in throwing position and making that quick throw. And he said those traits are something that's translatable to the NFL. So I think that's kind of what sold McAdoo on Matt Corral was just a skill set that he feels can translate to the NFL. Now, he does need some work. You know, you see some missed throws outside the numbers when he has to drive the ball, put a little extra heat on it. It may sail on him at times. I mean, that's just going to be some footwork fixes that Sean Ryan and Ben McAdoo will have to work with him with. And then touch passes. He needs to realize not everything needs to be a laser. You know, sometimes you got to put some touch on the ball, let your guy run under it. I think that's why he was off target on a couple of deep balls here and there. But overall, I mean, Matt Corral was QB. I mean, we all had different QB rankings for that matter. I think people that listen to us and follow us on Twitter and Facebook seem to think we all have the same exact opinion on every topic, which is funny. 
because we probably disagree on everything there is regarding football stuff. But Matt Corral was my quarterback one this year over Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis. I just think he had those skills that will translate to the next level. I think Malik Willis struggled a bit on the um, intermediate, short to intermediate throws and over the middle of the field. I think he's more built for that Tennessee offense where it's going to be play action vertical, you know, have a run game that he can be a part of and run the play action, you know, just throw that ball deep outside the numbers where he does best. I think in Ben McAdoo's West Coast system, quick passes, slants, you know, things like that. I think Matt Corral and Kenny Pickett were better fit. So being able to trade up into, you know, where we did in the third round and, you know, get one of the top three quarterbacks. I think Corral was actually one on some guys on the Panthers board in the building, one on their board. I think that's just a win overall. Nobody going into the draft expected us to come out with a top three tackle and a top three quarterback with Scott Fitter was still able to uh, manage to do it. So, uh, Kev, um, what are your thoughts on Fitterer being able to address both positions in his draft? Um, before I answer that, I just want to answer respond to some of these uh, questions, uh, comments in the chat here, um, if y'all paying attention. Um, it's a lot of quite comments about, you know, want to put Aki at left guard. Um, let me just, for those who don't realize, he only played four games at left guard his whole career. Um, the rest of the game, I think it was like 27 games he played at left tackle. I mean, if you're a Brady Christensen fan, I get it. You know, you want to see the guy do good. Uh, you want to see him have a shot. I get all of that. But if we're talking pure best left tackle, uh, there's no comparison between Brady Christensen and, you know, Akeem Ikwanu as who's the better overall left tackle. Like, even Brady Christensen's best day is not going to give you what – um, Iquanu is going to give you uh, at left tackle. I mean, it's good to have that position flexibility in a pinch. I get it. Maybe certain, you know, short yardage formations, you may want to move things around. Um, you know, maybe use some of that tackle eligible, you know, have Brady, you know, at the end man at the line of scrimmage. You know, I mean, I, I get all of that because he's athletic. But uh, again, when you think about the type of offense, you know, running game we have on a Ben McAdoo, um, you know, it's icky at left tackle, and and that should be it. You know, I just felt the need to address that because I was seeing multiple people want to say that uh we need to put uh, icky at left guard, and I'm sitting here like, what? The consensus number one left tackle be moved to left guard? I just, I'm just struggling to understand what's the concept behind that when we've been crying for a left tackle for damn near ten years. So I just wanted to address that real quick. Uh, but we're back to your real question. Uh, other question, I'll make it quick here since I talked so much about that. Um, as far as, you know, what Scott Fitterer did, uh, that's that's pure magic. You know, when whenever Matt Rule gave him credit for, uh, as you mentioned earlier, being patient, you know, we were getting a lot of calls to, you know, make a move earlier. And, and Scott, you know, uh, trusted the board, uh, trusted his, um, you know, uh, instincts. And that takes that takes, you know, some real gumption to do that, because let's be honest, you know, even though Mr. Tepper came out and said that uh, Rule got a support, Rule is on the hot seat this year. Let's, let's not fool ourselves. Let's not take the comments too literally. You know, it's, it's all about winning um, around here. You know, we can't go 5-12 and 12 again and, and, and expect Tepper to be okay with it. He, he said what he had to say, you know, to show support. That's what you're supposed to do to the public, but behind them doors, you know what time it is. 
But um, yeah, Fitter did a great job. Uh, I didn't personally see it coming. I didn't. I didn't think it would be possible to pull off both. And the fact that we didn't. I mean, I saw some people gr- grumbling like, "Oh, we ain't gonna have no third round pick next year." If you potentially, and I do have to say potentially, because I, li- I like the way Monty said it on Twitter. If you potentially maybe you have your franchise quarterback and you was able to get him in the third round and it only costs you a third round pick, you'll take that all day long compared to, for example, the 49ers with Trey Lance. They had to give up three first round picks to get theirs. You know, now don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing Matt Corral to Trey Lance, but I'm just talking about as far as the value of what teams are willing to give up to get their franchise quarterback. Um, so um hats off to um Scott Fitterer for not mortgaging away our future and to take care of two of our biggest needs. So, Manny, are you done with the QB room at this point? Are you still trying to work out a trade, maybe try to swap uh, Sam Darnold and bring in a Jimmy Garoppolo? Or I saw Nick Foles was released by the Bears today. Or would you just ride it with Sam and Corral and see how it pans out? If you can get Foles... You, you know, to me, in my opinion, you go get them. You know, if there's somebody that you can add to that room, uh, veteran presence, in my opinion, is as much as you know, as, as excited I am as about with Matt Corral, you're you're not going into the year with Sam Darnold and PJ Walker as you know your alternatives for quarterback. You know, that's just uh, all due respect. You're you're not that, in my opinion, that's you don't do all the all, you don't make all the moves that you made this offseason and say, hey, PJ Walker and Sam Darnold are my alternatives for quarterback. If Matt Corral doesn't work. I I just don't believe that. I think that you got to go get a, a veteran quarterback. If, you know, if not, you know, I I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, and I don't want to be that guy. You got Cam Newton's in there as well. You know, like I said, if we're just looking for a veteran presence quarterback that that can bridge Matt Corral in. You know, so so there's a few options there. I you know I'm not 100 percent done with it, but I'm not fully upset if you know if Scott Fitter says you know we're, we we got our guys. I want to see what Sam Darnold does. You know, because for for all we for all the junk. <laughs> That we can talk about Sam Darnold. I'm one of the loudest persons that don't like Sam Darnold. He, he started the season off strong, you know, and, and I, I do understand the logic that if you improve your offensive line, if you get, you know, if, if you can kind of make that situation at quarterback not so toxic, and, and you know, and if you can make things just a little bit more consistent, you probably can get more consistent play out of him. Again, I'm not, you know, I'm not stamping Sam Darnold, but, you know, I, I'm not finished with trying to get me a quarterback. Now, to address what Kev just said about the draft picks, I think you just hit it on the head. You know, like, and like you said, I'm, I'm glad you said we're not comparing Trey Lance to Matt Corral, but for it, I mean, this, this, is where I, this is where I stand. I don't give a damn if he was drafted in the seventh round or the first. If you hit on your quarterback, you hit on your quarterback. You know, like, so, so if you hit in the third round, here in four years, nobody's gonna care what round he like. For instance, nobody give a damn what round Dak was drafted. Nobody cares what round Russell was drafted. It's it's hitting hitting on your quarterback. So when we're talking about value, yeah, hell yeah, like yeah, dude. If I if I can get me a fran- potentially get me a franchise quarterback in the third versus auctioning round you know rounds one and two up for Trey Lance or what fans were wanting to do with C.J. Stroud and uh, Bryce Young next year, what 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 are we talking about? You know, <laughs> because the argument is. Is Matt Corral in year two uh, a strong enough quarterback to carry your franchise versus a rookie quarterback in next year and having to auction all those picks up to get them? So, Kev, I think you hit that on the head as well. I mean, it's just a, it's a different situation a year out, but it's the same situation, you know, if that makes sense as well. But 
going back to what you said, um, Will, I'm happy with the, uh, the QB room. I would still look to add a veteran quarterback. If you can't rock out, you know, see what Sam got, uh, can give you. And I, I, I'm under the impression, you know, if Sam stinks week eight, Matt, Matt Corral uh, is, is your starting quarterback for the rest of the year. So, you know, that's where I kind of stand. What's up, Jordan? Hope you're doing well. Thank you for tuning in tonight. So I know I'm going to address some of these other questions we're seeing about um, is Matt Corral a franchise QB? First, is he a franchise QB? Obviously, it's too early to tell. Um, like I said earlier, I think he has traits that translate well to the NFL. It's just going to be up to our coaching staff surrounding talent and scheme to make him most make him as comfortable uh, transition to the NFL as possible. Um, we have a good I mean, think about when rookie quarterbacks fail. Look at what Sam Darnold went through with the Jets. You know, they go to these terrible situations with, you know, volatile coaching staffs, not a lot of talent around them. And it's pretty much a reason why, a big reason why they don't fail. But I think what we're doing here, we built the roster. I mean, you have a defense returning a lot of players. I mean, Reddit's a big loss, but they were still saw a lot of growth from the young guys there as well. So they'll come in with a solid defense. You got two, possibly two good tackles with Iki Iquanu. Taylor Moten, they addressed the interior O-line in free agency. Can Christian McCaffrey stay healthy? Uh, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. So, I mean, Corral's come into a pretty good situation, if you ask me. So, I think we do have the foundation in place to help it make it as easy on him as possible. And you think about our weapons. Where do they eat the most? Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore. DJ Moore, slant routes, you know, getting over the middle, getting the yards after the catch, bubble screens, jet sweeps. Christian McCaffrey, Texas routes out of the backfield. A lot of the work in between the numbers. Where does Matt Corral excel as a passer? In between the numbers. Ball comes out quick into the hands. Playmakers be able to do their thing after the catch. So with that quick release, ball getting to them early, I think we have the right foundation for him to succeed. But as far as making a prediction about will he be the next franchise guy, this, this, and that, still way too early. So we'll just have to see how all of that uh, plays out. So we can talk about quarterbacks all day. You know, be here till 11 p.m. at night doing that. Let's see if we can get through the rest of these picks in these last few minutes. Uh, J.D., uh, Brandon Smith, linebacker out of Penn State. Uh, first and foremost, you know, he's athletic as hell for a linebacker. I think he's posted almost a perfect 10 relative athletic score. You got to talk to our fans about what you saw from Brandon Smith and how you see him contributing to the team this year. Dang. Oh my God, bro. I um I'm not a fan of the film. Um here we go again. I'm the bad guy. Tra I, I was gonna say trash, but I'm, I'm being uh, talk nice. on it, bro. Be I, I'm, I'm being nice. It, the film was bad, bro. Straight up. But again, with the the um relative athletic score we were talking about, um, the idea here is that you um draft them and coach them up. And now you get a good athlete who's malleable and your coaches can develop them. My issue with the thing with the draft from round three on down is that we have um and I, I want to credit Scott Fitterer because it's a solid, it's a solid line method of thinking. If I get athletes and my coaches do their job, we're gonna hit on these picks. But we are banking on Coach Rule to do something we haven't seen him do in three years. We're banking on him taking raw talent and athletes and developing them. Who has he developed? Dante Jackson, Shaq Thompson. 
Dante Jackson came into the league hooping. Oh, okay, Shaq Thompson? Shaq, Shaq Thompson just needed a number change. I don't know what ah. to do. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll get him. Yeah, what did Hassan Reddick's year with uh, last year compared to his four guy year? Wasn't he a draft bust? Well, Shaq, Shaq got his money before Rule even got here. Um, Herney gave that contract in December of uh, that contract since in um, December of 2019. Um, so technically, he got the money right before Rule got here, but um, he has uh, played significantly, uh, significantly better uh, since then. Just to be accurate on the money situation part of it. Maybe what Shaq needed was a scheme change, and so I, I, I'll give him Shaq. Uh, I won't give him Reddick because Reddick was Samuel? a. Poor- I, I, I won't even give him Curtis Samuel. Ah, Curtis Samuel was hooping even before that. Um, he was hopping, man. He was injured the first two years. You yeah, know he was hopping. look when he was on the field. He was he was solid. So this, okay, I'm not even gonna give him that. One. Where, where I where I hear you with the they were playing well before they got. You know, we're talking about playing well versus them having a career year under Matt Rule. You know, like we're like let's so let's let's keep that in in mind. You know, like it's we're yeah. Curtis Samuel might not have been bad prior to, but Curtis Samuel had a career year. His first year with Matt, I mean, with, under Matt Rule, you know. So, so let's let's also keep that in mind. Now, I'm I'm not defending Matt. I, you know, I everybody knows I'm not a Matt Rule fan, you know. So, so I I'm not. I kind of agree with you. We're banking on Matt Rule to do something that we've never seen before, and I even agree with you that I'm not a fan of the tape. That being said, I I don't agree with that. We haven't seen guys develop and, and play better uh, under Matt Rule because we have. You know, let's just if we're gonna be realistic. Dante Jackson might he might have been playing well beforehand. Dante Jackson was very inconsistent beforehand as well. He, Matt Rule he gets, wasn't he wasn't inconsistent this year. He, he he was okay. He was a lot less inconsistent this year than he's ever been in any other season. Oh, I, st- I heard inconsistent still. Oh, hey, hey, so 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 yes or no? Has, <laughs> Dante he Jackson, had a bad game against Terry McLaurin. I mean, that's not a. I mean, everybody has a bad game against Terry McLaurin. <laughs> well, if, if if we gonna keep it a brick, he, we can say he was inconsistent because I mean he was he was injured. But if you look at the numbers, bro, he he had he gave up one. He he only had one to that hundred yard receiver on him all year. So so and we're talking about guys like Terry, like you said, Terry McLaurin, like Terry McLaurin, he strapped Terry McLaurin up. He strapped, uh, he strapped uh, your boy from um, what, what's my man from Dallas? He strapped my man's up. So like, if if we go keep until it the break, end of the game, until the uh, end of the game, man, Dante Jackson <laughs> strapped him up, bro. Like until we, the end of the game. Tell the whole story until the end of the game. Yes or no, <laughs> the, bro? The game was over by by the third quarter, though. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So, so okay. Uh, Dallas won kicking our teeth in by by third quarter. Okay. okay. And all of this is that I'm talking about day three picks, right? Day three picks don't develop in one year or two years. Could be three to four years before we ever see a return on a day three pick. Look at Marquise Haynes. You know, he finally come into his own after three, four, two, three years. Josh Norman, he showed flashes rookie year, a little bit flashes sophomore year. Not sophomore, I'm talking about like a college kid, but his second year in the league, you know, year three and four, that's when he starts to break out. He becomes an all pro in his fourth year. He's talking about Matt Rule and developing. I mean, how did he build Baylor and Temple? He's not getting five-star recruits. He's taking athletic guys with athletic traits, and he's developing them so that either junior and senior year, he can have a good football team. That's how he built Temple into beating Penn State in year three and four. 
That's how he turned Baylor and just start competing with Oklahoma and making the Big 12 championship by his third and fourth year. And then look at Baylor this past year. My goodness, that was a great football team that we um who they beat in the Sugar Bowl this year. Uh, everybody's giving this new coach credit. Oh, he turned around the program in one year. No, he didn't. Those were all Matt Rule's recruits that he won with this year. We haven't seen this new coach's recruiting class come in and step in. So and we, I get the Matt Rule hate, the Matt Rule doubt. He hasn't won but five games back to back. But developing athletes and the quality football players is something he does. Look at Robbie Anderson coming in unrecruited, undrafted free agent. Trash this year. Trash this year. Look at Look at Trash that quarterback this year. Nah, bro. Call it 100, man. <laughs> name, 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 name a quarter. Name, name a thousand dollar wide receiver Sam Don has ever made off his throws. Nah, I'm not even talking about Robbie. I was a defensive back to Temple and became an NFL receiver under you know Matt Rule and Temple's system. So I mean, he put guys in Temple in the league. Look at all the Temple guys in the NFL right now that played under Matt Rule. They're all the Matt Ioannidis coming back. I mean, he's got a lot of guys. That went through that program. So, I mean, this is how he built them. So, he's just trying to translate that into the NFL. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to know the results until year three or four. And I know nobody wants to be patient with that, but that's just kind of how his process and his development system works. So, we just have to suck it up, see what he does. But, you know, God, you know and there's an article about it too. Evan Cooper uh, said it best. He said, if we're going to miss, we're going to miss fast. But that's what they do. They want to take, they're trying to use this day three. Um, draft day, undrafted free agents. This is where they're going to build the way they did in Baylor and Temple. We're going to just bet, bet on traits and try to use our coaching to develop them. And you look at the staff additions. I mean, Steve Wilkes, you know, what's um, our linebackers coach? Kev, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. The Luke Keekley's coach. Um, um, Al Holcomb. Yep, uh, so, I mean, you got all these guys that are used to developing players. So, you know, let's see what he does, man. Yeah, another one, Rocky Sin, playing well with the Colts for a couple of years. And that's what I was going to say, Will. Like, for all the for all the shit we talk about, Matt Rule, bro, he putting him in the league. Like, you know, it's like like we we all talk about and that's and that's the thing we all talk about universities or coaches that are historically known for getting got players in the league. Bro, he putting them in the league. You know, it, it ain't like that. We were just talking about his running back. Uh, what, what, I, I gotta hate. I can't remember his name right now. But his yeah, running back, Abram, Abram Smith. Abram, exactly. We were just talking about Abram. Like, bro, he, bro, he's about to, he's gonna be a, a stud if he goes to the right team. So he's putting players in the league now. Mind you, again, I, I, I am kind of with JD. Like, we're banking on rule to do something we've never seen him do in the league in, in the NFL. Like, so, so that's a fair argument. Going now to what you said as well, Will. He's he's a proven coach that just over time he will get better. That remains to be seen in the NFL. You know we we can't relate. We can't really take what he did in college and relate it to the NFL because it's a complete different game. But we know that over time Matt Rule has is proven to make his teams better. We've he's also proven in the NFL guys that were kind of on the fringe of we don't. I mean you know he there are they going to be good players? Are they going to be you know bust? I don't want to say bust, but you know are they, are they not going to pan out? Bro, under Matt Rule, they're they're playing good ball. Dante Jackson, for for what taking for what you were want, Dante Jackson had a, a a career year last year under Matt Rule. Shaq Thompson had a career year. Kurt, Kurt, look, Curtis Samuel can't even stay healthy other than last year when you know, under Matt Rule. You know what I'm saying? So it was like there's there's a bunch of different things that I feel like we have to as much as we rag on Matt Rule. Matt Rule has has done some good. We're, you know now again, you take that as you will. You know because you can. 
make the argument that him stamping Sam Darnold kind of trumps everything that he's done so far. But Matt Rule hasn't been uh, all bad. He's been a lot bad. It's not all bad. I think the missing on the quarterback, number one, and his coaching staff, number two, has made our situation look – I can't believe I'm defending Matt Rule because I criticize him almost every day. But missing at the quarterback position and missing on not having NFL head coaching experiences on his staff is really what's kind of overshadowed all the good that he's done with the team so far. I mean, look at the improvements on the defense. In his first year, I think we had eight or nine rookies playing significant snaps on defense. These guys couldn't get off the field. Kev, how long did it take for us to force a punt, like three games? Uh, yeah, we went through a three-and-a-half-game stretch where we didn't even force um, any punts in um, in 2020. Matter of fact, historically, uh, the 2020 Panthers had the second-worst third-down defense in NFL history. That's that's how that's how tragic it was. Um, but I don't think the total year, I don't think we forced no more than 30 punts all year. That's That's crazy. So look at the strides the defense made from that unit that couldn't even force a punt. To the end of the season, it started to play better. And then, I mean, in this season, I mean, we ranked number two in yards. I don't think they were the second best defense in the league, but they're definitely a top half unit. So just those type of improvements, I think, is kind of getting overlooked because he missed so hard on the quarterback position. His building of the O-line was atrocious up until this year, and he didn't really have a lot of good veteran experience in his coaching staff. So I think he's fixed the coaching staff. I mean, I think McAdoo was a terrible head coach, but – a pretty decent offensive coordinator and QB developer. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Eli Manning think highly of him. So, I mean, those are pretty good referral sources there. So, I, and mean, I think if he can do or die, right? <laughs> I think if he, I think if he just leave the offensive line strictly to camping, um, because you know him switching Moten to left tackle and putting Brady at right, like stuff like that. That's what really, you know, what I'm saying made me itch. You know. Uh, with him, it's it's almost like, hey, I, I gotta force the guys that I chose here to win. You know, keeping keep starting Cam Irvin and Pat Elfline when clearly we had it was clear to see we had better players that weren't getting was wasn't getting a rep. So I, I'm just hoping that uh, with the offseason evaluation and things take place, that you know, with the offensive line coach now whose resume verified, I, I just kind of hope Matt Rule just kind of steps out the way and. And, and let um, Campen dictate the, the the rotation or the, or the depth of it. I get he's the head coach, yada yada yada, but he's shown his ineptness to um, to properly evaluate offensive line talent. Even though his job prior to us with, in the NFL was an offensive line assistant coach with the Giants in 2012, but clearly, um, yeah, that 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 part also uh, rubs me the wrong way about Matt Rule. Okay, we could do a whole show on Matt Rule. Let's try to get through these draft picks. We're approaching an hour right now. Uh, J.D. Amari Barno, 6'6", edge rusher from Virginia Tech, runs a 4-3-6. Another raw guy, you know, probably in that Mario Addison, Marquise Haynes role as a prospect coming in. What can you tell us about Barno? He looks a lot like Marquise's um, old Miss film um, at Virginia Tech. Uh, I think Amari landed on the best team possible. I think um, he's a good athlete. He's a fluid guy. Um, he is a little bit of a tweener to me, too. Like, he could be uh, an edge like um, Brian Burns, but 
he flashes some range, and I, you might want to see, um, or in some some cases, like a, a Frankie Louvu, stand him up in just some scenarios and let him chase ball. But um, I think getting with Brian Burns and getting with Marquise Haynes and guys that can show him how to um, beat blocks um, if they get your ha- their hands on them and how to beat blocks without even um, using the hands. So, like, a, a, teaching them an elite um, – Showing him, showing them how to get to his landmark and dip the corner and turn um, will be huge for him. He's four three speed, so this was one of the um, the the picks. Um, he's real raw, but at this point, um, an elite athlete like that at edge, um, hey, take the shot and see if you can uh, coach him up. Okay, let's keep uh, moving along. Uh, Kev Cade May is a guy you were high on last year. Can you tell us our fans about him. Yeah, with uh, Cade Mays, uh, you're talking about someone that's played his first two years uh, at the University of Georgia. And then um, uh, there was an issue where his dad ended up uh, uh, suing um, to University of Georgia over something. And uh, Cade transferred to a University of Tennessee to finish out his last two years. Uh, one of the things that sticks out about him is effectiveness to play all five positions on the offensive line. Um, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of them think that he's just a guard, uh, but he's one of the guys that you definitely want to have active on your roster come game day, because knowing that you can only probably have maybe two offensive linemen at time, depending on how your uh, 46 man at the roster is, uh, he's just someone that offers that ultimate flexibility. But as far as his individual talents, uh, what I like about him again with the style of running that we're going to be doing, um, the power uh, gap running schemes, uh, this guy definitely fits the bill. Um, he plays aggressive. He plays hard. Uh, he's a fin- uh, he's a f- uh, he can be violent um, with his run blocking as well. Uh, he's actually uh, improved from his 2021 film that I watched when I thought he was going to enter the draft last year to 2022. Um, as has been reported, he only gave up one sack all of last year, and I think only about five or six pressures uh, playing in the SEC against the, the talents that they played against, you know, like Georgia and Alabama, you know, for you to have those type of numbers at your position. Um, yeah, that's, that, that was definitely, I don't want to say a steal, but I think that's just great value there. Now I think a majority of us in the chat was hollering for uh, Jamari Sawyer, who ended up going out to the Chargers. Uh Side note, I, I'm loving how they're building a wall for Justin Herbert out there with their offensive line picks. I mean, they're just really uh, – they're really protecting him up front with the way they've been drafting their offensive line the last two years. Uh, but anyway, back to uh, back to Mays. Uh, he's a guy that by year two or three, he could be he, – he, that's a good chance he could be challenging. Um, you know, depending on what we do with Bozeman, who's on a one-year deal um, at center, he's someone that could uh, – you know, also have a shot to play center. Uh, he's very intelligent. He He's real good at blitz recognition, which is something that, you know, we've discussed at length, you know, here, tired of seeing those tackle in stunt games that's just blown up the A-gaps over and over. This is something that he excels at as well. So I, I just think that Cade Mays is a player that uh, is going to start off being a depth player, but uh, if he continues to perfect his uh, craft, continue to work on his footwork, his – uh, hand placement, uh, being consistent, getting good bend 
um, and leverage. Uh, he's someone that potentially could be a starter for us down the road. Okay, good information. And uh, Monty, I'll leave you with our seventh round pick, uh, Kalen Barnes, a Baylor cornerback in a 4-2-3, 40-yard dash at the combine, the second fastest time of all time uh, next to John Ross. What can you tell us about Kalen Barnes? Yeah, um, Barnes is I, – I think you hit it on the head. You know, he's a he's a flyer, and I think we all sp uh, spoke on it earlier that, you know, if we're, if we're going to take guys – Late in, late in the draft, you're going to take guys with high, you know, with the traits that you feel like you can develop. No, you know, I feel like there, there's one thing, there a lot of things you can teach. Speed is just one of them that you can't, you know, have running a 4-2. Anything is, is ridiculous, man. So I, I think that's, you know, that, that speaks volumes in itself. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely think he's going to be, a, you know, a developmental guy, you know, a special teams guy that, uh, you know, that, that you definitely want. Um, and I and I feel like that's what going into the you know that last day, especially late that seventy sixth, seventh round, those are guys that you're looking for, guys that can come in and and potentially uh, develop and you know and and have an impact on your special teams. Again, I you know that's those are the kind of guys that you're looking for and that you want to have on your team. You know, uh, athletes, you know, freak athletes that you know that fly around to the ball. You know, looking at what what he did uh, at Baylor, you know, it looks like that. You know, he he's he, he like I said he. He's raw. He's a raw prospect. He's a freak athlete. Can, can get, you know, so it looks like he doesn't have a problem getting to the ball. But again, these are these are guys that I'm not really banking on having much play time, you know, on the field. You know, these are guys that you're looking to, you know, to, to fill out, to fill out your roster, add to special teams. And I feel like for that purpose, and you know, I, I feel like he, he'd be a great addition. All right. Well, there you have it. We covered all of a uh, Panthers uh, 2022 draft class. Just to recap, we got. Iki Ekwanu, tackle out of NC State. Matt Corral, quarterback out of Ole Miss. Brandon Smith, linebacker out of Penn State. Amari Barno, edge rusher out of Virginia Tech. Cade Mays, interior offensive lineman out of Tennessee. And then Kalen Barnes, of course, the Baylor guy. No, Matt Rule can't get to a draft without getting one of his own cornerback out of Baylor. So we'll see them. And Kev, you have the dates. Many camp starts when? When was first get to see our rookies in Action running around a bit. You're on mute. Sorry about that. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, it's um, June 16th through the 18th, the uh, three-day uh, mandatory um, uh, mini camp schedule uh, for the Panthers. Uh, so I believe, if um, like it was before, I think it's going to be uh, close to the uh, public. So we just have to rely on the um, on the uh, reporters and their um, and their um, their information. Okay, well, there you go. Something to look forward to uh, this offseason. So be sure tomorrow at noon tune in. We got to have special guest, former Pro Bowl and All Pro guard Mike Wall. He's going to join us to talk about our offensive line picks in particular, uh, Iki Ekwanu and Cade May. So that should be. Fun talking to him for about, you know, 30 minutes or so to see his thoughts on our picks. Before we sign off, any closing remarks from uh, you, Manny, or J.D.? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess I'll speak. Um, I'm, I guess last thing I got to say, I'm very pleased with uh, what we did this uh, weekend um, moving forward. I think that, we you know, we put ourselves in a good position to, uh, you know, to be very competitive in 2022. Um, I it's all about just going to go get it, fellas. You know, I, you know, we speak on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, and I, I feel like we, we all know the potential of this team. You know, it's just all about going to go get it. Um, I think 
adding a, another safety and adding a tight end, you know, wouldn't hurt as well. But yeah, man, I, I'm pleased. I'm excited. Um, I, I love to want to see what, what, what um, he came and what Matt Corral can do. So um, yeah, I, I'm all in, brother. All right, JD, you have anything you want to add before we sign off for the night? Uh, nah, nah. I give this class a solid B, a solid B. Um, just because they didn't trade for a vet quarterback, I don't hate it all. I swear I don't. It's just that, um, yeah, I, I'm taking the good with the bad a little bit more. Um, but yeah, yeah, solid, um, uh, solid draft. Um, uh, good job for Federer, and hopefully Rue can get his staff to coach these guys up. And one more thing we before we close out, uh, it's actually June 14th through the 16th. So that's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday uh, for the uh, three-day mandatory minicamp. And also, Panther fans, be on the lookout for uh, May 12th. Uh, that's when the um, schedule drop is going to happen. Uh, that's going to be on a uh, that's going to be on a Thursday. So that's a, that's a week from this coming um, this coming Thursday on the 12th is when the uh, is when the is when the schedule drop lets us know. Uh, who we playing um, and everything like that. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for that. And as a reminder, us in the comments, they also do have a rookie uh, mini camp for just the rookies. And I think some tryout players and undrafted free agents, but that won't, that won't be um, competing against the guys on the roster until I think uh, mini camp later on this summer. So thank everybody. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Be sure to catch uh, our talk tomorrow with uh, Pro Bowl guard Mike Wall. He always has good insight on offensive linemen. So we're looking forward to that. We'll probably be on more regular now as we approach the bulk of the offseason to talk about, you know, how guys are progressing, what's going on with mini camp, training camp, rookie camp, and all of those things. So signing off for the night. Keep pounding. Talk to you soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park